John 5, 16 to 47. <laughs> okay. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them his answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will, also, uh, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honour the son just as they honour the father. Whoever does not honour the son does not honour the father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. For if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Therefore, if another who testifies in my favour, in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is true... Uh, you have sent John and he has testified the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Mo Moses... You would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, 
How are you going to believe what I say? We're going to consider those words together, but I just want to draw your attention first to uh, verse 39. Jesus says to these religious leaders, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Friends, we're about to study the scriptures just like these Jewish leaders did And it's entirely possible for us to study them, to know them, to know what it says, and yet to completely miss the point. So I'm going to pray that as we read these words from God, that they would lead us to come to Jesus and have life. Would you pray with me? Father God, we do thank you for your word, your life-giving word. Lord, it is a life-giving word because it leads us to the one who has life in himself, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God. Father, help us to see Christ clearly this morning in your word. We pray that as we see him, we would be changed by him. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, uh, I've just had a week off. I did a bit of reading. I learned something. Birds aren't real. It's true. For the last 50 years, the US government has been capturing natural birds and they've been replacing them with feathered robots. They're undercover spies. They are watching you. But there's still time to act. Friends, join me. Budgies, magpies, even emus, they're watching us. But if... We can fight them. If we destroy them, we can, we can regain our freedom. Who's with me? I'm glad you're laughing. It's an outrageous claim, isn't it, that birds aren't real? It's ridiculous. The guy who started this conspiracy theory started it as a joke, and there are lots of people that follow it. I, I assume and I, I hope that they get it's a joke. I'm not entirely convinced. But friends, this morning we're going to come and consider a claim that is almost as ridiculous. In chapter 5 of his Gospel, John records for us the moment at which a Jewish carpenter comes and claims to be the very God who created, sustains and rules the universe. Now, for those of us who have been in church for a long time, that may not seem all that shocking or surprising. Jesus is God's son. Yeah, we know. Tell us something new. Just stop and appreciate this claim for a moment. Just imagine that you were there. You were one of these Jewish leaders. And this man comes to you claiming to be God. What would you think of him? You'd think, this man needs help. (laughs) He clearly has a mental disorder of some kind. But friends, today in John's Gospel, Jesus from Nazareth stands before religious leaders and says that he is the God that they have devoted their lives to. It's an outrageous claim. It's absurd. But it's a claim that, if true has huge implications. 
My outrageous claim, if true, that birds are not real, has huge implications, but this one is bigger. And so this morning we're going to come and consider this outrageous claim that Jesus makes. Secondly, we're going to see the evidence that Jesus brings to support his outrageous claim. Thirdly, we're going to see what this claim means for us, if it's true. The claim, the evidence, the implications, there's an outline on your handout, so it's all up there already. But we begin this morning with the claim. This outrageous claim comes to us in the context of an argument that Jesus is having with these Jewish leaders. Now, if you were here last week, Gavin shared with us the story of Jesus miraculously healing this man who has been disabled for 38 years. But because Jesus did this on the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest, these Jewish leaders, they took offence. In fact, they began to persecute Jesus. You see, Jesus was a Jew. He was going around teaching Jews. But he didn't seem to follow the Jewish laws. This makes the Jews angry, but Jesus offers them an explanation. And it's essentially the explanation that a sovereign citizen makes. You know, the sovereign citizens that occasionally pop up on our news, the kind of people who claim independence from Australia, they live in their own little country, they're exempt from tax and paying speeding fines. Basically, Jesus uses their argument. He says to these Jews in verse 17, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. He says, just like the Sabbath laws don't apply to God the Father, well, they don't apply to me either, because I'm his son. Well, they didn't like Jesus before, they hate him now. They are furious, and they're furious because Jews are fiercely monotheistic. Jews know there is only one God. They've had it drilled into them over and over again. The central affirmation of Judaism was the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. They would recite it twice a day. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. The law instructed Jews to worship only one God. You shall have no other gods before me. The prophets reminded the Jews that there is only one God. God says, I will not share my glory with another. Jews knew there is only one true God, and yet here before them is Jesus, a Jew, claiming to be another God. At least that's what they thought. Understandably, they, they saw Jesus claiming some kind of opposition to God. They thought he was setting them, himself up against God. They thought he was making himself equal with God in the way that maybe a young up-and-coming boxer might declare themselves a match for the world title holder. They thought he was competing with God, but Jesus is clear. He says, I am not competing with God. I am God. Have a look at verse 19. He says, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. 
Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. They are not two gods, they are one. They operate in perfect unity. Something I'm noticing more and more lately, which is both beautiful and terrifying, is just how much my son is like me. It's beautiful because he shares my interests. He loves physics. He loves riding bikes. He loves swimming. I love doing those things with him. It's beautiful. But it's terrifying because he has all of my weaknesses. He gets angry when we're running late. He gets anxious in airports. He takes things so literally that it annoys everyone. My son is just like me. And he's like me because he has learned these things by watching me. I have led, he has followed, for better or worse. But we are still two unique beings. There are things that Josiah is that I am not, and there are things that I am that Josiah is not. But here, God is one. Father, Son, and Spirit are one. But within that unity, they have unique roles and functions. The Father leads, the Son follows. The Father sends, the Son is sent. Jesus is one with the Father, and because he is one with the Father, he also shares the power of the Father. He's just demonstrated that by healing that disabled man in Jerusalem. It's a sign that he has God's power. But Jesus says there's even more amazing things to come. He also has the power to give life and to take it away. It says because Jesus is God, he has life in himself. He, he is the author, the giver of life. He has the ability to give life to the dead, he says. That's something he is doing already. He's giving life to the spiritually dead as they hear his word and believe. But it's something that he will do at the end of time when he raises the physically dead and acts as judge of all people. Now, this is the claim that Jesus is making. He's saying, I am the Son of God, the Father. It's a huge claim, it's an outrageous claim, and it's the kind of claim that most people of the day would would outright reject, unless Jesus was able to back it up with some evidence. And so that's exactly what Jesus does next. From verse 31 to the end of the chapter there, Jesus calls three witnesses to testify to the fact that he is none other than the son of the living God. We're going to move through this fairly quickly, but the first witness he calls is John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist came to help you come to me. John's whole purpose was to show people that God's son had come into the world. John the Baptist backs up Jesus' claim But John is just another human. And so in verse 36, Jesus presents an even more compelling witness, some better evidence. He says the better evidence is his works. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, 
The very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. How is it that we can know that Jesus truly is the Son of God? Well, we can listen to John the Baptist, he says so, but we can look at the things that Jesus did. We can listen to his teaching and and see that he taught as one with authority. He had authority, he was God. We can look at his miraculous works. One of the things that John likes to make really clear in his gospel is that Jesus' miracles were not empty displays of power. He's not just a, a show pony kind of doing tricks for the people. No, the things that Jesus did are signs and they point to the fact that Jesus truly is the Son of God. Only God can control the weather. Only God can heal sickness and disease. Only God can make the blind see and the lame walk. Only God can raise the dead. Only God can forgive sins. Only God could make a way for you to be reconciled to him. And yet Jesus did them all. How? Because he was sent by God. That's the first two pieces of evidence. He's got one more. John the Baptist says Jesus is the Son of God. The things that Jesus does demonstrate that he's the Son of God. But in verse 37, Jesus says that the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. And in verse 39, he points us to that testimony. He says it's in Scripture. Now, Jesus doesn't give us a reference. He doesn't give us a quote. But that's because all of Scripture testifies concerning him. From the very beginning, God promised a saviour who would crush Satan, a king who would rule forever, a priest who would intercede for his people, a prophet who would speak the very words of God. All of scripture shows us our sin and our deep need for forgiveness. All of scripture shows us the love and faithfulness of God. The whole of Scripture points us to God himself being the answer to our deepest need. Friends, the whole of Scripture points us to Jesus, the Son of God. We've seen the claim that Jesus makes. He claims to be the Son of God. It's an outrageous claim, but he gives us evidence to support it. The scriptures lead us to expect the Son of God. John the Baptist says Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus' own actions prove he is the Son of God. But why does it matter? I suspect that most of you here this morning have no trouble accepting that Jesus is the Son of God because you've heard it over and over and over again. Many of you have heard it for decades. Some of you from childhood. You've never doubted it. Some of you have probably never seriously questioned it. But friends, we need to see how important Jesus says it is. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, whether or not we acknowledge him as the Son of God is the only thing that matters. 
And the stakes are high. He says the stakes here are life and death. Have a look. Jesus tells us that he is the one who has been granted authority to judge. He is the one with authority over life and death, freedom and condemnation. In verse 28, Jesus says that a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. A day of judgment is coming. And in his hands, Jesus has heaven and hell, life and death. He will decide the path that you take. And the thing, the only thing that determines his decision is how you responded to the one sent from the Father. Verse 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Verse 28 sort of leads us to think that maybe Jesus will decide which way we go based on our deeds, whether we have been good or whether we have been evil. But verse 24 confirms it for us. What it means to be good is to hear his word and believe him who sent me. Friends, you will not be judged by your moral actions. You will be judged by how you responded to Jesus, the Son of God. And at stake is life and death. Do you see how this has huge implications for us? At at the very basic level, this completely kills any idea that there are multiple ways to God. Lots of people today love the idea that all religions are basically the same. They all lead via different paths to the one God. Do you see, Jesus doesn't allow that. He makes an exclusive claim. He says there is one way and only one way to eternal life through the Son sent from the Father. Which sounds bigoted and arrogant in our culture. It is a claim to exclusivity, which is just anathema in our, in our culture. No one likes that. It is an exclusive claim, but friends, make no mistake, it is a claim based on grace. There is no room for Christians to go out and, and act as if they are superior or better than anyone else. Grace reminds us that we are not better. Grace reminds us that we are sinners and is only Because Jesus chooses to give us life that we have it. That's a very basic implication. There is only one way to have life. It's also worth pointing out that what Jesus says in this passage completely kills the idea that Jesus was just a moral teacher that we might listen to, but not God that we might worship. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he captures this uh, famously well. These, These words have been cited lots, but they're helpful. He writes this, he says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said 
would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any uh, patronising nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Friends, either Jesus is the Son of God, the only way to have life and salvation, and you should listen to him, or he is not, in which case you should avoid him at all costs because he is at best delusional and at worst a dangerous liar. And they are the only two options. Either he is who he says he is or he is not. And so, friends, there is really only one question that matters. Only one thing that will make the difference between your life and your death. It's not whether you went to church. Jesus is addressing people who were in the temple daily and yet they're trying to kill him. It's not how well you know your Bible. Jesus is talking to people who studied the scriptures and yet failed to see how they pointed to Jesus. What matters is not whether you keep laws or do enough good deeds. Jesus is speaking to the best of the best when it comes to obeying the law. Friends, the only thing that matters is how you respond to the one God sent. Will you honour Jesus as the Son of God? Will you listen to him? Will you trust in him and find life? Now, I want to make one last point here. The point I want to make is that choosing whether or not to believe Jesus' outrageous claim, it's not just a question of your mind. It's not a question of knowledge. It's actually a question of desire. And this is true for actually most of the decisions that we make. We like to think of ourselves as rational creatures. We see the evidence and we make a, a rational choice. Usually we don't actually do that. We make decisions driven mostly by our desires, which is why diets always fail. It's no different here. Notice what it is. What is it that's stopping these Jewish leaders from falling down and worshipping Jesus? It's not a lack of evidence. They've got all the evidence. They have studied the scriptures that point to Jesus. They are well-versed in prophecies about this coming Messiah. They have heard John the Baptist. They went out to hear him prepare the way for Jesus. And they have just witnessed Jesus healing a man who had been disabled for 38 years. There is no lack of evidence. They have all the evidence. But what is it that stops them? Jesus points it out in verse 44. They refused to come to Jesus. Why? Not because of lack of evidence, but because they love their own glory more than they love God's. They love being important. 
They love feeling superior. They love that sense of, I have made it because I achieved it. They love everyone telling them how amazing they are. And friends, until they are ready to let the spotlight shine on Jesus, the Son of God, they will never honour him. And they will never find life. Brothers and sisters, you've heard the claim. Jesus says that he is God, the Son sent from the Father. You've seen the evidence. But friends, now the decision. Will you worship the Son? Will you seek your own glory or will you allow allow all glory to go to him? Will you make Jesus the object and center of your life or will you make you the center of your life? Friends, one of those ways leads to life, one to death. Will you honor the Son? Let me pray. Father God, you sent your Son into the world, a light in the darkness. You sent him with life in himself so that he might give life to us who are dead in sins. But Lord, I pray for each and every person here that they might not love their own glory, that they might seek your glory, that they might humbly bow before Jesus, the Son of God, and in him find life. Lord, do that work in us, we pray. Help us to rejoice in worshipping Jesus, the Son, the one who came to give life to the dead. We pray this in his name. Amen.